scriptures. If you would all stand, please, and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter uh, 5. Maybe she better go to children's church. Libby, you want to go to children's church with mommy? Sorry. Uh, Luke chapter 5, let me start reading in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses for you, commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house that lay before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are holy, you're high and lifted up, and angels around your throne are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And yet, Jesus, you came and walked in flesh on this earth for 33 years. You suffered, you cried, you were hungry, you felt compassion. You were angered by religious pride, but you reached out to the humble and the lowly, and you loved children. And Lord Jesus, after you finished your work, you went back to heaven and you sent your spirit Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. And we ask that you would open our eyes to the goodness of God. Our eyes get fixed and clouded on many things. 
we get stuck on our perspective and we need you to change that so that we can see spiritual things, so that we can see life as it is in Christ, so that we can walk by faith. Forgive us for our negativity, our pessimism, our focusing on things on this earth that don't matter. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place and we need you to touch our hearts, to change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I have here, as you can see, uh, the title, More Encounters with Jesus. And uh, we have three individuals, actually two individuals and one group, and each of them have encounters with Jesus. How do you have an encounter with Jesus? Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, but he sent his spirit here to help us have encounters with Jesus. Many times encounters with Jesus happen in times of crisis, in times of struggle, in times of brokenness, in times when the security blankets that we put around our lives seem to be inadequate, and we realize that they are inadequate, and we realize that we need God and we cry out to him. Tim Keller was a pastor in New York City for many years, and he was told when he first felt God was calling him to start this church in New York City, don't go there. The rich and the powerful and the beautiful and the brilliant, they are not interested in God. Okay, they have life figured out. They have all kinds of structures in their mind, their brilliance, their beauty, their money, their influence, their power, whatever, and they are not interested in God. Well, Tim Keller felt that uh, uh, God was calling him to do that and thankful he obeyed and he went and for many years served in Manhattan in a large church that proclaimed the gospel. And he had a heart for people that were uh, just, you know, shall we say at the top of their game. They kind of had it all in the world's eyes. He tells a story in one of his series uh, called Encounters with Jesus, uh, but a man who came to him and said, you know, if you could just give me an airtight argument about Jesus, I would believe. And he babbled on for a while about the intellectual responses he wanted uh, to make the gospel and Jesus make sense to him. And Tim Keller finally responded to him. He said, do you know what? Jesus is a person. And you don't have encounters with debates or arguments or long lists of uh, theological principles. You have encounters with a person. Okay? It's kind of like the difference between finding uh, a, a mate or a date online, okay? And there's a bunch of things about the person and what they like or what they don't like or what their interests are or, or whatever, okay? And you look at all those things and you might say, well, that's interesting, that seems like a nice person, or no, I'm not interested in that person, okay? Uh, but then when you meet them face to face, it's a totally different encounter, right? Because you have a living human being in front of you there that is responding or laughing or saying, oh, I like this hamburger or no, I don't want to do that. It's a living human being. It's the same with Jesus. 
He's a living person. He's an eternal person. He's the Word made flesh. He came and he walked on this earth, fully God, fully human, suffered in all ways just like us, yet he never sinned. And of course, he went to the cross and then he rose from the dead. I say that for some of us, and myself included maybe at times, that intellectual debates about God only go so far. But if you get in a setting where you're crying out to God or you're worshiping God or you're needy because of the situation you go for, those are the situations that God loves to work in. He responds to needy hearts. He responds to worship. He responds to help. Fact is, I think that's the prayer he loves the best. A human being stuck in a mess, crying out for God to help. So an encounter with Jesus, and we see three of them here that we're going to focus on here today. Look at verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. I find the word covered very uh, instructive, okay? If you look at Leviticus 13 and 14, you'll see all these instructions about leprosy. A leprosy was a very broad generic term of any skin disturbance that happened. Uh, could be a welt, could be a blister, uh, could be a fungus, could uh, uh, maybe even something like athlete's foot, seriously. Leprosy was a broad term for all kinds of skin disturbances, okay? but taken very seriously by the Hebrews in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13 and 14. But to say that he was covered with leprosy is a drastic term, okay? Because to be covered with leprosy probably meant that uh, because of the nerves being destroyed, okay, because of the leprosy, he was beginning to bump things because he couldn't feel them. And one of the issues with leprosy is that after a while, your toes, your fingers, your limbs become affected and begin literally to fall off, okay, because you don't feel things, okay? Uh, there was actually a Catholic uh, monk that went to Hawaii, I think in around 1860 or 1870, Father Damien, and he had a heart for lepers, and throughout the generations, lepers have been isolated, okay, from normal social contact, okay, and put out in the middle of nowhere. And Father Damien heard about a community of lepers in Hawaii, and he went there, okay, because he wanted to spread the gospel to them. He wanted to help them with hygiene issues, with their uh, leprosy, okay, and I forget how many years he was there. Uh, but uh, eventually he got leprosy himself, and he died from it. But it was a powerful picture of identification with people who are needy, wanting to help them, wanting to show compassion, laying his own uh, uh, desires for privilege or comfort aside and saying, I want to help these people. Okay, And that's what Father Damien did with a leper colony back in 1860 or 1870. Okay? So in the second blank there, Isaiah used leprosy as a symbol for sin. Okay, you read Isaiah 1 and it's mentioned there okay, uh, as, as, as something uh, that is a symbol of sin and Isaiah's call for God's people to repent of sin and to return uh, to God. 
Jesus, third blank, Jesus sternly told the leper two things. Look back and see what it says. Okay? When, when the second sentence in verse 12, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love this picture of falling with his face to the ground. Uh, do you know that when people encounter Jesus, sometimes stuff like that happens? Okay? Peter encountered Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish fell on the ground before him and cried, Lord, or kurios in the Greek, and said, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. He encountered God in the flesh. God did something impossible. Jesus did something impossible and multiplied this catch of fish. And he knew that he was a sinner. And he said, Jesus, go away. In this case, we have a leper. Okay, he's a social outcast. He's covered with leprosy. Okay, he lives in isolation and loneliness. He sees Jesus. He falls at his feet to the ground and begs him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I don't think he doubted that Jesus had the power to make him well. The statement, are you willing, is interesting. It's not a statement of God's power to make somebody clean. It's a statement if Jesus, are you inclined to do this? If you've ever been around somebody who's prayed for something for a long, long time, okay, you go through all kinds of ups and downs, if you will, of God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Uh, is there something wrong with me? Do I have sin in my life? Do I have enough faith? And it can be a contorting, difficult road of hope. I have a friend, a professor on the East Coast who had uh, Lyme's disease, and I believe he had it for six or seven years. And we got reports about it from time to time, okay? And it was a torturous experience. He could do nothing. He had no energy. He had to severely limit his schedule, okay? And uh, he prayed and prayed and prayed. And then finally we got a report, okay, that he had gotten better and that he had recovered. And his physical strength was uh, 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 returning to him. I met him at a conference in Ohio a few years ago, and I was praying about something that I was concerned about, and he started to cry, and he looked at me with tears running down his face, and he said, Drew, the best is yet to come. Now, you might wonder what that simple statement means, but I was sharing with them some longtime burdens that I'd prayed for, that I didn't know if there was ever going to be an answer. I was like, God, where are you? How long is this going to go on? I'm praying and praying and seeing nothing. And he looks at me and said, Drew, the best is yet to come. Maybe somebody needs that word here this morning that has been dealing with something that seems like it will never change. And yet we get together and we pray and we worship and we sing songs about this amazing God and how he loves us and he can do all things and he rose from the dead and, and on and on it goes. And yet you're dealing with something that seems it will never change. And there's a war that goes on inside. There's a war. Can I tell you something? The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now, why would I say such a ridiculous statement? First of all, I needed that statement myself. 
because of some pessimism and negativity that was creeping into my own soul. The best is yet to come. Well, God's on his throne. He is coming back. He's going to take us to heaven to be with him, okay? Our lives are in his hands. He's a good God. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. His spirit is here this morning speaking and revealing things to you that maybe you need to hear. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would say to you, the best is yet to come. God is working. God is present. I was watching again the Asbury Revival Thursday night and they decided to change the format and to kind of wrap up the way it was working at that time. But I was so blessed by the worship and the kids and the testimonies and what was happening, okay, and the commentary from some of the people that were speaking about it, that God was revealing himself in a powerful, supernatural way and it is spreading to other campuses around the country. I find it wonderful. I find it amazing. If you watch the news long enough, you'll be depressed and you'll go jump off a bridge. But if you see what God is doing and you get a renewed mind and you see that God is changing lives and answering prayer and is present and is available, it will change the way you think. And I will add this other commentary from my own life. You know what has changed my perspective in my prayer? Gratitude. And I've told you, the Lord spoke that to me a couple years ago as I was praying and said, Drew, you can be thankful for everything in your life. I don't know that I wanted to hear that. You know, you can get in a place of negativity and complaining and critique and get stuck there and you kind of enjoy yourself. You convince that you have the all-seeing eye to know what's going on in the universe and if only this was different, things would be okay. And it's really... I hate to say it, folks, but it's just stupid. Back up and say, Lord, I am going to be thankful. I'm going to be grateful. We all have things in our lives that we wish were different, okay? And we can still say, God, I'm going to be grateful. Number one, you washed away my sins. Number two, you are on your throne. Number three, the Holy Spirit is here. Number four, Jesus rose from the dead. We have the word of God. We have the body of Christ, okay? So these are things that we can be grateful for, and I would encourage you, and I will encourage myself uh, to do that. So Jesus sternly says to him two things. Number one, say nothing to anyone. See what it says there in verse 14 of Luke 5. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. I don't know, what when I read that, I thought of a song that we used to sing in youth group as a kid, uh, walking and leaping and praising God. In Acts chapter 3, I think it's Peter heals somebody, okay? And he gets up and he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. What a ridiculous, embarrassing display of emotion. Can't you see a Pharisee walking up to him and saying, will you just calm down? If you've ever talked to somebody who has experienced, okay, liberty from some type of an addiction or an answer to prayer or come to Christ for the first time and tell them, you know, I would prefer that you don't talk about that. You're kind of being embarrassing right now. 
Friends, it's unbridled joy and gratitude because God intervened in the life. I have told you about Rodney Curran praying for me when I wrestled with depression in Bible college and something miraculously happened. I had an encounter with the Spirit of God and you know what? You just want to talk about it because it's real. It's not religion. It's not church. It's not an order of service. It's not all the things we expect. It's an encounter with the presence of God. And the same thing happened years later with the Toronto blessing when I experienced an encounter with the presence of God and God did something and I felt his presence and I knew again that he was real and there was a change in my heart. This is an encounter with the presence of God and we see here in this text encounters with the person of Jesus. What does he tell him? Don't tell anybody, okay? Okay, and uh, what's this about? Well, look over in Mark chapter 1 for a second and see what it says. This is probably the same account that Mark is telling us about the same person. But if you look in Mark chapter 1, verse 45, Jesus is beginning to have a logistical problem with the crowds that are following him all over the place. Can you imagine if the Kansas City Chiefs had a parade in Atna the week after the Super Bowl? Some of you are really bothered about the Kansas City Chiefs, aren't you? I don't like them either. But they did. Uh, please, please, take it easy. I'm being reminded of the Chiefs won. Say the Chiefs showed up here in Atna and their players had a parade in Atna, okay? There would be people from all over the county and the state and maybe Oregon too that would come to see them, okay? This is basically becoming an issue for Jesus as he ministers that crowds are following him wherever he goes. People want to hear what he has to say. People want to get healed, okay? And it's become a logistical problem, okay, of the issue of crowds. Look what Mark chapter 1, verse 45 says. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, this is just my own theory, but I'll share it anyways. Uh, I think Jesus wanted to minister, wanted to preach, wanted to teach, but also needed individual time with his disciples. Okay? And you can't have individual time with the disciples if there are crowds everywhere. And Jesus knew he had a three-year window of time to teach these disciples of what he was about, teach them about the kingdom, teaching them how to minister in Jesus' name, okay? And he had to have time individually around the Sea of Galilee or other places to minister uh, and to teach his disciples and train them because he was going to turn it over to them after they left. The second thing, show yourself to the priest and offer a sacrifice as a testimony. This is what was instructed in Leviticus 13 and 14 to go to the priest, okay? I like the word testimony, okay? Because can you imagine the light as he said to them, I was covered with leprosy and now it's gone. 
Tim Lloyd gave me this book years ago, and the book has this word on the front, and it's called Testify. And the book is full of people that experience encounters with God and healing works and were set free and God changed their lives. And it's all full of them testifying. That's why what Lisa Theophanitis is doing is so important to find people that will testify. Is it scary to testify? Yes, it is. Okay? You have to stand in front of everybody and say what's happened. But you know what? You will be blessed by saying what God has done. You'll be encouraged. And the people out there listening will be encouraged. This is what God has done. You say it. You speak it. Okay? I say to people sometimes that are just learning to develop a devotional habit and devotional time with the Lord every day, speak God's word out loud. Okay? Do you know the circus that goes on in your mind every day? This is circus. This problem, this need, this deadline, this bill. What am I going to do about this? On and on it goes. Okay? You are going to have to take those thoughts captive, bring them into the obedience of Christ and confess the goodness of God. And when you read God's word, I tell people, and I believe it's absolutely true, you are saying it and verbalizing the truth of the word of God. Your own ears are hearing it. And you know who else is hearing it? The demonic hordes of this spiritual battle that we're in. Okay? Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Jesus died for me on the cross. I'm an adopted child of the king. I'm holy and blameless because of what Christ has done. You say those things out loud, it'll change the theater of your mind. And on a good day, it might even burst into worship and praise. As you lift up the name of Jesus, and something will change inside of you. And we have the power to do that because we are adopted, we are holy, we are blameless. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. Look at the next encounter with Jesus that we find here. Look what it says in verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Okay, So you have a group of teachers of the law. You have Pharisees. Okay, You have people that are schooled in the, in the Hebrew studies, uh, the Jewish law, the Old Testament commandments. Okay, And they're listening. They had come from every village of Galilee, from the Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. If you would underline power of the Lord, Paul has this phrase in Corinthians where he says that the Christian life is not a matter of talk, but of power. What in the world does that mean? I sit up here each Sunday and I talk. I invite the Holy Spirit to help me as I talk. I ask for the anointing to flow through uh, the words that I say. I study all week and say, Lord, what is this about? What do you want your people to hear? How can my words be anointed by your Holy Spirit so that it will penetrate their hearts and go into the deepest places where there are things of hurt and pain and last, lost things and shame and whatever it is? I don't know. 
I often pray with the worship team and I say, Lord, you know every person that will come through those doors on Sunday morning and only you know what they need. I don't. Man looks on the outward appearance, God sees the heart. In Jesus, in his word, by his spirit, is healing for what is going on inside of you, inside of your mind, inside of your body. And we pray for that. And we pray, Holy Spirit, come. So it says here, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now look at this audacious thing that happens next. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay before Jesus. Remember the thing we talked about crowds? There's people everywhere. There's people crowding in. Jesus is in a house and they can't get in. They couldn't find a, a way to do this because of the crowd. They go up on the roof and they start damaging this guy's property. It's kind of ridiculous. Can you imagine this place being so full of people that somebody got up on the roof and started cutting through the metal with a cutting torch and said, God is working and I don't care what it takes, I want to get there. You know what that is? It's a desperate faith that's full of urgency, that's full of desire, that wants to be where God is and where he's working. I've had moments in that, of that kind of faith in my life. Unfortunately, I've had other long seasons where you're just kind of putting one foot in front of the other. You believe, you love Jesus. You're like just going, Lord, help me. Help my heart. And, and John rec recognizes this and deals with this in the book of Revelation where he talks about a lukewarm heart. Folks, don't let your heart get lukewarm. Don't let your heart get dull. And if you're in a place like that, I'm not condemning anyone. I'm saying, look at yourself and arrest that and say, Jesus, I don't want to drift. I don't want to get cold in my faith. I don't want to be stale. I don't want to be passive. I want to have another encounter with Jesus. And the Bible says, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. There's a never-ending supply of the movement of the Holy Spirit and the availability of the Holy Spirit to keep our hearts quickened and warm and soft and full of his consuming fire and flowing through our lives. All we have to do is want it. Look what it does, says next here. Okay, it says uh, they take him up on the roof, okay, they lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the roof right in front of Jesus. It says in verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, <coughs> he must have thought, man alive, these guys are desperate. They want to be here. They want their friend to be healed. They're ripping over the roof and dropping him down right in the middle of everything. Okay, look what it says next. Your sins are are forgiven. See that middle uh, section there? The paralyzed man had friends that were full of faith and persistent. Okay? The power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Okay? We won't turn there, but read Luke 8, 40 to 48 this afternoon. Okay? A woman presses through the crowd to be near Jesus. She has some kind of a hemorrhaging, bleeding problem in her body that the doctors can't fix. And she decides, if I just touch him, and Jesus says, when he touch, she touches him, 
power went out from me. Friends, we need power to live the Christian life today. Okay? You have to have it. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. The Spirit of God is in us. We can walk in that. And when we're having a day that's difficult or struggling or whatever is going on, we can say and pray, and I would encourage you to do this, Holy Spirit, I need you to touch me today. I need to experience your presence and your power. Now some say to me, Drew, that's just, you're advocating emotionalism. Anybody ever get emotional about watching a ball game? <laughs> or emotional about shooting a big buck? Or emotional about whatever? You have emotions, friends. You are not Spock on Star Trek. Just give me the information and save the fluff. No. You have an interior world that needs to be touched by the presence of God so that you can respond to others as a human being, not like Spock. And I guarantee you that this is what happens to our emotions in life. They get hurt and we withdraw. And we say, this is not a safe environment, thus I will not do this. <clears throat> not entirely bad, part of life. I wouldn't put my hand in a hole where a rattlesnake was. Okay? We make those decisions. But if your emotions get too stuck in whatever's happened or however you've been hurt, okay, it's going to limit your spiritual life. And you know what Jesus would say to you? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Look at your outline there. The power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Jesus saw their faith and said, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees did not see that Jesus was the word made flesh. They did not see that he was eternal God. Okay, so for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, this was really a statement of incredible blasphemy, <coughs> Uh, and ridiculous. Only God can forgive sins. Well, if you're Jesus, you can forgive sins because you're God. But the Pharisees, because of their spiritual blindness, didn't see that. Okay? And that's why they began to get upset. And see what it says in this next section. Put in a blank, if you would. The Pharisees did not believe Jesus had the right to forgive sins. Okay? By forgiving sins, Jesus is claiming to be God. And look in verse 24, and we'll just get to this Son of Man uh, title. Verse 24, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man, what is this? If you'd like to, turn to Daniel chapter 7. This is one of the uh, uh, most powerful titles about Jesus. Okay, and we find it even back in the book of Daniel. Uh, if you'd like to look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, see what it says. This is Daniel's dream that he has. Uh, gets addressed a lot in prophecy sermons. A wonderful, powerful chapter. But ends on this note about this son of man who is Jesus. Verse 13. 
In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. The Ancient Days would be a title for the Father, okay, on his throne. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of Man title, meaning that Jesus fully identified with humanity in physical flesh, but did not compromise his deity. See what it says. He, was approached, he approached the, son, the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. If you are worried about our world, would you read that verse every day this week? I get concerned about our world. I get troubled. And then I realize that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has all power, all dominion, all glory, uh, is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Folks, we have to develop a kingdom mindset of what is going on in our world. Is Satan working to destroy lives and get people off track? Of course he is. He's a defeated foe. Do you realize how scared he was on Easter morning? Oh, I killed Jesus. I won. Okay? But of course, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that Satan, that Jesus, the moment he died, descended into uh, a captivity, okay, into Hades and set captives free. And he's been doing it ever since. Satan is a scared, defeated foe. Okay? Now, what I've said to you over the years, and I think it's so true and it helps me, the only rattlesnake you have to worry about is the one you don't know is there. If you're stumbling through life just eating your Cheerios and going to work every day, unaware of spiritual realities, you're going to get your butt kicked. But if you read this book and see that we are in a spiritual battle, and, and, and yes, there is an enemy, he's defeated, but I know who I am in Christ, so I don't have to walk in fear. Amen. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. And if you're having fear about whatever it is, you need to spend some time in saying, Lord, when did this fear habit start? Because I guarantee you it went, starts back at a traumatic event that happened somewhere in your life where you decided the world's a scary place. I've got to protect myself. I can't, uh, uh, you know, get too uh, whatever about anything because the world's fearful and I have fear and I don't want fear. So I'm going to protect myself and live in an isolated, uh, safe environment. Friends, don't walk in fear. I've told you years ago when our girls were all at the high school, okay, and uh, uh, having fear about that, okay? And one morning I was praying for our daughters and I just felt fear hitting me. Some of it's from the enemy, some of it's my own predispositions about fear and anxiety. And I opened my Bible and I can fear this heaviness because there is a spiritual battle going on. And it says right there in the middle of the page in the Psalms, he will deliver you from all your fears. This smile burst onto my face. 
And I thought, Holy Spirit, you're so precious and wonderful. You would speak to me right now in this fear I'm having about my children through your word and say, I'm going to deliver you from all of your fears. Take some time to do that with whatever is going on in your own mind and heart each day. So Jesus, the Son of Man, the title Son of Man is used 82 times. Nick, the worship team can come. The title Son of Man is used 82 times in the Gospels. Jesus' words show power to both forgive and to heal. And everyone was amazed and praised God. I will give this one addendum at the end. I would encourage you to read, if you have not read lately, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 in the coming verses, and also Philippians 2, verse 6. Powerful statements about who Jesus is. Okay? Powerful statements about Christology and, and the glory of Christ. I opened a book this week. Uh, uh, it's called The Glory of Christ. This gentleman was a Bible teacher in England back in 1670, John Owen. And he says this about the glory of Jesus. Once having known the love of Christ, the heart of the believer will always be restless until the glory of Christ is seen. The climax of all Christ's other requests for his disciples is that they may behold his glory. So I assert that one of the greatest benefits for a believer in this world and the next is to consider the glory of Christ. Jesus, we ask that you would reveal your glory in this place, that your presence would come and arrest our hearts. Give us a vision of the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. Change us, Lord. Stir our hearts. Refresh our hearts. May we fall in love with Jesus again. Not going through religious routines, Lord, but with hearts that are hungry for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.